big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. Welcome to episode 70 of the Eastern Promise podcast. And this week, we're basking in the white heat of Cambridge Science Park, talking to director and guardian, the phenomenal Jane Hutchins, about its past, present and future. Trinity College was established by Henry VIII in 1546 and, centuries after the portly Tudor noggin chopper created the Trinity Endowment, the college created the UK's first science park on a fallow farm on the outskirts of Cambridge. We'll hear from Jane Hutchins how this trailblazing crucible of research and innovation is looking to the future, as well as taking you on an audio tour of the park itself. And finally, the schools are out, the sky is blue, the kids are bored, and so are you. But help is at hand. It's a public service. It's crowd sorcery. There are, at time of recording, in excess of 30 science parks in and around Cambridge, varying in size and with their origins either emerging from the colleges, a particular industry such as pharmaceuticals, or created by a specialist such as Bruntwood SciTech or the O2H group. However, it is Cambridge Science Park, just off the A14 and a short walk from Cambridge North Railway Station, that has the distinction of being the first science park not just the first in Cambridge, or the first in the United Kingdom, but the whole of Europe. As well as being a trailblazer, Cambridge Science Park is also proof that the city's ecosystem simply does not know how to rest on its laurels. With the UK's premier science park constantly looking to the future, under the leadership of director Jane Hutchins. I managed to catch up with Jane and got a fantastic insight into this crucible of innovation, plus a special tour of the Cambridge Science Park just for Eastern Promise listeners. It's a glorious Wednesday morning on Cambridge Science Park, and I'm here with director of Cambridge Science Park, Jane Hutchins, who's looking very summery, very happy, who's, who's, about, <laughs> who's about to go off on a well, well-deserved vacation. Jane, welcome to Eastern Promise. What a delight it is to be here and have you on the show. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this. Any chance to infuse about my favourite science park goes down well with me. Perfect. Can you give us, please, I always like to start with this question, the potted history of Jane Hutchins? Goodness me. Um, Right. So I was born in the West Country, north of Bristol, briefly, because my father was building the M4, M5 interchange, which he always gets lost in, even when he drives through it now. And then we moved back to my parents' hometown of London when I was a year old. So I essentially grew up in South London, only child, all-girls school, very female (laughs) environment. But my main sport was sailing, which was a very male environment, which uh, got me over that particular handicap, shall we say. I went to Portsmouth and studied economics and geography. And then I worked in various jobs in central London, business and business sales, financial regulation in the city, and 
then took a big break for children. And at that point, my, um, my husband's job took us down to Southampton. Fast forward a few years, I was very bored going up the wall, and I went for a two-week temporary placement at Southampton Science Park. Didn't know what a science park was. If I'm honest, I didn't particularly care. But I was working on University of Southampton's very early stage spin-out companies. So I got a, a bird's-eye view of um, what they were up to, what they were doing technologically, and the challenges they faced as companies, just running themselves. I stayed for 18 years. <laughs> <Ended up with, laughs> I kind of got stuck. I, think, I would like to think I was helpful and useful. I ended up as business development director there and developed an absolute passion for science parks and the nature of the communities you find on them. And when Cambridge Science Park approached me about a year ago and said, would I be interested in bringing some of my enthusiasm to Cambridge? I simply couldn't say no. No. It was too exciting an opportunity to turn down. So here I am. Well, it's fantastic that you're here. And um, weather permitting... When we finished our, our little chat, we're going to go, I say weather permitting, the weather certainly does permit. Uh, we're going to go on a walk around the park and see all the various things, because this is a huge site. There is so much going on over so many different fields. What is the one thing, uh, they say the one takeaway from this, what is the one thing you want people who perhaps have never visited this science park, and you absolutely should, uh, to know, to understand about Cambridge Science Park? I think... The one thing is it's a cradle of innovation. It's about the business side, not the blue skies research. And it's open. You know, we want people to come in and find out about what's going on here. Not every building is open to the public, but some are. The one that I'm talking to you in now, for example, the Bradfield Centre, has a publicly accessible cafe. It's open Monday to Fridays. All sorts of people come in here and they spark conversations. But we also see conversations being sparked between companies, between innovators. And I think the big message is that the innovation that happens here is relevant to you, to ordinary people outside. It's relevant to everyone. And the technologies and the treatments for life science conditions, whatever it might be, impact ordinary people in their everyday lives and make those lives better. And what's not to love about that? Absolutely. I mean, you, you can probably, listeners will be able to hear in the background. I mean, we've closed the door, but the buzz, <laughs> the absolute buzz going on here is phenomenal. Yes. Um, and sort of, it's called engineered serendipity. It was a fantastic yeah. phrase that uh, Ros Bird uh, first used uh, at uh, Norwich Research Park. Um, what difference does it make and what does it mean to you to have, and I think this is the only, the only one, where this is true, the name of the city in the name of your park? Um, I think for Cambridge, the power of the brand of Cambridge is global. And it, it, it's known as being a major centre for, um, for research, for know-how, for knowledge, for innovation, for scientific discovery. Um, and of course, for other, it's other sectors as well, but it's a science that is particularly relevant to us. So Cambridge as a brand is incredibly powerful. It opens doors. It has global recognition. Um, when this science park was established just over 50 years ago, it was the Cambridge Science Park. There were no others. We were the first in the UK. Um, so the, just being able to say the Cambridge Science Park was amazing. And I still do say the Cambridge Science Park. I don't blame you. Um, which was, yeah, it's different. It's different. It's 
moving into being on the inside of that brand power has been a revelation for me. I've yes. always understood it, of course, but to live it from the inside is just amazing. I think doing what I uh, do, you can't sort of ignore that. Mm. It, you, you, you do get um, pulled into it. And uh, it, it, I, think, I think what I've learned is don't fight it. Yeah. Go with it. Um, so you, you mentioned this is the first, the original, mm. the definite article, as it were. And what does that mean to you? And how do you see the role of <clears throat> director, mm. your role, developing as, as time goes on, as new developments come uh, to the park, as spin-outs grow, etc.? I think the biggest challenge of a, a director of a growing science park will be to maintain a sense of community, actually, within this estate. It's hard enough as it is. This science park is six times the size of the one that I came from originally down in really? Southampton. Wow. Six times. Um, and we would hope to see that double over the next five to ten years. Wow. Without losing any of our green spaces, which we love. But it's, to create community in something that is scaled up in that way is going to be very challenging. So we're having to harness all of our resources in terms of not just getting to know people, but also creating spaces in which that serendipitous meeting will still happen, and the managed meetings as well. And frankly, beating heads together and saying, you will come out and engage, because yes. why are you here? Come outside. Otherwise, why are you in a science park if you don't want to engage with your collaborators, potential collaborators, yeah. on your doorstep. And, and you know, the, the, you're right that there are so, so many rich opportunities mm. that can flow. And, and sometimes trying, you're right, it's so right, it's so right, just like knocking heads together to get people to say, look, you can benefit from this. Talk to this person, talk to that person. You, come here and yeah. do this thing and we'll, we'll, we'll all benefit because even if you say, well, it's lovely to meet you, we'll stay in touch. Mm. And, and sometimes you just, people get quite understandably sort of encased in their little silos. Completely. And I, I, I can't remember who I asked this to, and in, in many ways it really does. Yes, I do. It was um, uh, the, the Civic University Project at the University of East Anglia. Mm. Um, do you see your role as a silo buster? Actually, yes. Yes, I do. I've never heard it described that way before, but no, that's exactly it. It's, it's beating down the doors and finding the barriers and saying, how do we overcome these? Yeah. And it's not just within the science park, but it's also breaking down the silo of a science park within a city. Indeed. And I think, you know, we both, I've acknowledged this publicly, and Trinity College, who own the science park, have also acknowledged this, that we haven't been great at that in the past. Um, we've made some mistakes. But the spirit of the entire science park movement nowadays is so much more open and inclusive. And we all want people on our doorsteps and in our neighbouring cities to understand what we're doing. And if we're perceived as being a silo, then it's off-putting. The local community isn't going to be curious and act and respond to that curiosity by wandering onto the estate or coming to events here. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of silos and lots of them need to be broken down. I feel slightly guilty because I've put my questions in front of you and see you try to read them upside down. Like I should have, I, 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 I could have, I should have really, should I have given them to you first? Because, uh, no, that one, no, yes, maybe. Um, now, uh, you, you bring me on and I'm going to have to find the actual question because I'm going to jump ahead. Oh, right. Because you've, um, aha, here it is, uh, number 12. Um, because you, you, you kind of really neatly linked me into that. Now, the UK Science Park Association yes. Yes. Uh, recently published 
polling. Is it polling or polling? Polling. We'll go with polling. I hate it, but we'll go with polling. <laughs> that indicated the public are sceptical mm. about the benefits of spending on research and development. Yes. Now, cards yes. on the table. I don't think that's true. And if it is, then it's ridiculous. Um, because science basically has not, within the last five years, rescued us from mm. the purgatory of endless Teams meetings. And I yes. hate Teams the pattern. <laughs> it's my nemesis um, because I'm very bad at using it. How yes. short memories are. Now, that's yes. my bias out there. Uh, how do you react to the idea that the public are... Uh, in a cost-of-living crisis, I can kind yeah. of understand it, but... Yeah, completely. What's your thoughts? I'd heard that as well. Um, I'm not surprised so much because I think a lot of... People who do research often do it for its own, its own benefits and their own passions. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily very good at telling the story to people outside their immediate circles. Um, and it's telling that story that we have to do better. The pandemic was a marvellous opportunity. That's probably not the best way to put it, but it was a... It was a no, but a, I see what you mean. There's an opportunity in every, in every crisis. There's, yes. there's some, the number of some people who've said... Well, we started in the pandemic. Yes, precisely. Yeah. And, and the general public suddenly saw daily, on the daily news updates from Chris Whitty and, and his, oh, yes. his team, scientists saying, this is how we are carrying out research, this is what we've learnt, it looks like we need to go down a certain path in order to protect people or in order to develop you know, mechanisms for slowing the spread, in order to develop vaccines, therapies... Science was at the head of the news all the time, in a positive way. It was a very frightening situation, and it was a very upsetting and distressing situation for everybody. But we all saw science desperately trying and ultimately succeeding to find a path out of the pandemic. Mm. A, a friend of mine, who I won't name, um, <laughs> years ago was um, science editor of a national news channel. And we were chatting one evening and we said, why is it that the scientific, particularly the health stories on the national news, are scare stories? Yeah. And he said, well, we sit and we read all the research papers that come out. We say, oh, that sentence makes a good headline. He said, we have such a short opportunity. All we can do is pick out the sentence. And if it's scary, we get higher viewing numbers. So I think the way science is portrayed is not necessarily, or scientific knowledge is portrayed, in the media and elsewhere is not necessarily helping the cause. No. So, yeah, I can see that during the pandemic, people wanted government to throw a huge amount of money at science to, to get us out of the crisis. And I have certainly seen that, particularly in the context of the cost of living crisis, the public appetite to see taxpayer money being spent on scientific research, where the benefits aren't always clearly explained, would be lacking. Um, I think the current inquiry that's looking into COVID, where you've you had um, George Osborne and David Cameron recently being interviewed yeah. on the news, and I don't make this in any sort of political um, judgment in my view, but they were openly saying, well, in government we have to make decisions on funding. It's not always easy. So I don't know how to square the circle. No, it's... But it, it is of concern if the, the public are not seeing... The benefits to them and mm -hmm. to the economy and indeed to the world and climate change of scientific research. I think I, I remember, not my phrase, but discovery mm. is a, a benefit in itself mm. um, because, as you say, you never know where it's going to lead. Mm. Um, Three-fifths of the company on this science park yeah. 
originated here, yes. um, in this city. Yes. Now, that sounds like, when you say it out loud, you, you, some might think, well, of course they did, but this is the number three global yeah. hub for science. You know, yeah. this is the number three spot in the world under, you know, two, top two are America, yes. then it's Cambridge. Yes. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and to have so many here rather than coming from outside mm. and think, wanting mm. to get that hold of the flagpole and, and, and tied to the brand. I think that's amazing. Um, why do you suppose you, how do you, how have you achieved that and how are you sort of managing that and how, how has it happened that way, I suppose I'm asking? I suppose it all dates back to what's called the Cambridge phenomenon. Books have been written, journalists have opined on the subject, but back in the, I think it was 1963, Harold Wilson, before he was Prime Minister, made what is still judged to be one of the most significant political speeches of the 20th century. And you referred to the need, a paraphrase it, I'm afraid, um, the need to embrace the white heat of technology. Yes, I, yeah, well, the so white heat. Yeah. A, a phrase we're all familiar with. It's, yeah. it's become common parlance, but he was the one who coined it and made this transformatory speech, saying we've got to basically stop looking back to our old industrial heritage embrace the white heat of technology and the benefits it will bring to the future economy and society and move forward. And that was back in the 60s. Yeah. Um, at around the same time, Cambridge University also looked across the seas to America at what was beginning to happen there with the very first science parks, an, an embryonic concept, and thought this is a really good way of gaining impact and reputation for the university. And they changed their culture. It sounds so easy to say, but changing yeah. the culture of a major and very historic institution must have been incredibly difficult at the time. Yeah. But they freed their investigators, their researchers, professors, to effectively dabble in spinning out companies. Yeah. Um, and I still get visits from people all, from all around the world who say, what well, they're allowed to. You <laughs> just think, wow, you know, it's, even now, even in the 21st century, people are surprised at the freedom to explore other options that yeah. Cambridge academics are given. It's no longer unique to Cambridge in the UK or indeed globally, but it is remarkable. And it was enabling them to take some of their know-how, parcel it up into a company and set that company loose on the market that resulted in 23 unicorns coming out of this, frankly, tiny little city on the yeah. edge of the fens. Yeah. Um, it is remarkable. I mean, the, the stats blow my mind, even though I quote them all the time. But you know, 23 companies that have come from this one university in a small city that have reached a billion-dollar valuation is phenomenal. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that people come from all around the world, as well as from around the UK, to say... What's your secret? How do you do it? And I think at the heart of it, it was Cambridge taking a very liberal and forward-thinking approach. Yeah. It's Trinity College saying, we have an old farm on the edge of Cambridge that was given to us by Henry VIII in 1546 that could do better. Um, it wasn't really being actively used as a farm in the 70s. It was uh, it had railway sidings on it and broken tanks. That have been I was going to say, you made up, yeah. Yeah, After World War II. So it wasn't a particularly attractive site. And they saw potential for creating a science park, almost like an experiment. Yeah. And the rest, as they say, is history. What excites you most? That's, oh, how can I forget wow. this one? What excites <laughs> you most about the future? 
of this park? Oh gosh, um, the, the vision, the overall vision for the redevelopment of it. Um, we've started and I know the values that are being brought to that whole project um, from various stakeholders and it's, it's not only going to be visually beautiful, it's going to, we're looking at densifying it, you know, significantly expanding the floor print, the amount of space here, which is necessary because there's, Cambridge is full and there is a lot still to be done in terms of the businesses that are here or that will originate here or that will come here. We have to house them. Um, it'd be great to be the housing location of choice for those businesses. <laughs> All businesses need a home. But the, the standard, um, not just for people walking through the science park from the local area who, who will continue to use our green spaces because they will be enhanced and not reduced through this process. Um, but the, for the people working in those buildings, you know, modern interiors for, for office fit-outs and lab fit-outs are so employee-centric now. And they, they are considering things like neurodiversity in the design of a floor. It's, it's just incredible. There'll be healthier places to work. Um, and the fact that it's all around sharing the excitement, sharing the journey, bringing people in, engaging with people on our doorsteps to inspire them to have careers in science and technology, which they might not have considered previously. You know, to move from the science park being a place that is a part, that is other, that's not their Cambridge, it's somebody else's Cambridge, to bring that or turn it around and say it's a welcoming and inclusive environment and it's an inspirational environment for everybody. That, well, I think that's yeah. just, it can't be beaten. No, I think, well, I can say as a... As a an outsider, if I can call myself that, that, that that's something I, I feel like you, you achieve. Uh, Thank you. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. And um, we've got a Secretary of State for Science currently yes. and a Science Minister mm. too, who are both MPs from this region, both, mm. from Nor both MPs from Norfolk actually. Yeah. But what would you like to see, whoever is in government, where would you like to see that spotlight turn? Uh, in terms of, I mean, not, not just, uh, well, look at Cambridge, mm. uh, look at Cambridge Science Park, but in terms of their approach to, mm. to uh, investing in innovation. Um, I mean, for, my, for what it's worth, from my point of view, I think it's not to be afraid of saying, we tried it and it didn't work, mm. let's learn from that and do something else. Not, we have to get this right because we'll be pilloried for yes. it. Yes, it's... Um that's a huge question. <laughs> Absolutely huge. Well, we ask the big <laughs> questions here, and we ask them of the people who we think, who we know, will know the answer. No, no, no pressure there, then. <laughs> so, I, what do we want to see? I think from government is create the environment um, in which we can deliver what the country requires. So, it's, it's a key, key tenet of government policy is to develop the UK as the global hub for science and innovation. Um, that, that's now been turned into the hashtag scientific superpower. Yes. Um, and it's gaining a lot of traction. Yes. Um, so what we need to be able to do is to deliver the accommodation for those companies. Um, and it has to be sustainable. It has to be acceptable to the local population. So, and it has to benefit them as well as the companies. So all of that comes down into um, us being mindful of what people on the ground need from um, I'm thinking about the, the master plan we developed for Science Park North 
Cambridge Science Park North, which has been extensively canvassed with local people. And initially, we did a survey and they, their feelings were a bit mixed. Once we'd engaged with them, that changed and they were positively in favour. Yeah, that's it. So, so is, that, is that, forgive a uh, yeah. slight expression of ignorance, is that to presumably the north of the A14? It's just the other side, yeah. yes. Uh, near Histon in Impington. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, you know, it's, it's just, it, I say just, it's a master plan. It's something that we perceive um, that there is a verified need for around Cambridge, which is accommodation for mid-tech rather than high-tech. So if you think of Cambridge Science Park as being the home of high-tech spin-outs, those spin-outs reach a point where they need to start doing prototyping, and there is, there's been analysis done that shows there is a real shortage of prototyping mid-tech space in and around Cambridge. Now, clustering, so the development of um, companies in a particular sector in close geographical proximity to each other is acknowledged worldwide as being a driver of economic development and of success for those companies, which of course brings in economic growth to the region. You then look at Cambridge and say, well, Cambridge is nationally, if not internationally, significant in the economic contribution it makes. Now, you look at the UK, and I saw a statistic recently that one pound in every nine generated in the UK comes from Cambridge. And it's just, again, it's that, one of those mind-blowing that statistics. Is a, I, I'm glad yes. I'm recording this, because I thought, I mu- that, you know, where's my pen? I must write that down. And I'll explain why uh, a bit later. So I think we better get out on Shanks's pony while we've still got, I've still got some time in your diary. I think that's and, great. The sun is shining. Look, well, the sun's we still shining. Let's go do it. But Jane Hutchins, for now, thank you very much for a, a really exciting chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And let's go, let's go and take a look. Perfect. Let's go. So we're out behind the Bradfield Centre. We are. Um, in, the, in the lovely seated areas, there's people working out mm-hmm. in, the, in the sunshine. Jane, where now? I think we ought to walk down towards, through this grassy bank covered in daisies, because I hey. love daisies, and uh, then actually go to the old Trinity Centre, because there's quite a good story there you can tell about the history of the Science Park and where we're going next. Yeah, fantastic. I love the amphitheatre seating, kind of looking out. There's a, a, sort of a covered area and out onto the fountain and the... The lake. It's beautiful. Yeah, I was here in, on a really grey day about four months ago. It's a bit damp. And there are a bunch of mothers sitting outside with their toddlers all in their, you know, the multicolored little places yes. they have. And they were, the toddlers spent the best part of two hours just going up and down that amphitheatre yeah. seating, just playing while the mums took it in turns to come in and grab coffee and take away. <laughs> You were asking, where do we go next? So this is a large open green space there. It's crying out for development. There used to be buildings here that housed companies. They reached the end of their useful life and they were removed. So we've got a green space and a very unattractive mound of broken up reinforced concrete. Yes, I mean, when I say beauty in the eye of the beholder, I don't think you'd (laughs) find many beholders who'd say that was beautiful, unless they were thinking about either A, selling it, or B what they can do next, Indeed. Which, is, which is where the excitement comes in. It is absolutely where the excitement comes in. So that, that concrete, which is a bit of an eyesore, is also a very important part of our vision of the future because that contains carbon. That's the remains of the frame of the previous building that 
we looked at the cost of the carbon that's embodied within it and said we cannot get rid of it yeah. because the cost is too high in carbon terms. We will keep it, retain it and use it in the groundworks for the next building. Absolutely. So that's sustainability in action. Yes. So I think a lot of what goes on, particularly in commercial property, in terms of sustainability and climate change, is invisible. It's things like insulation. It's things like removing gas boilers, which we've done quite a lot of. Um, right. We do it opportunistically when we get a building back at the end of a lease, for example. Um, so we're doing quite well on that side. But nobody can see it. So unless we actually shout about <laughs> yes. it, no one knows what we're doing. So we're quite proud of our rubble mound. Yes. I, Although I was very distressed when I first arrived and saw it because it's quite ugly. It's a very good story because yeah. it's saying this is what carbon management looks like in reality. There you and go. And it's visible. Absolutely. And it's a great hook for a, for a it is. conversation. It is because it worked for me, actually, because I, mm. I, I did a, a, an interview with the East of England Local Government Association and uh, Matt Stewart, who's their, one of their, their policy managers, who's, who is a, self, a self-avowed fan of brutalism. So I did, when you said uh, it's not very attractive, I thought, I don't know, Matt might find it attractive because he's a, being a fan of brutalism. <laughs> but he, I mentioned, because we'd spoken before about the mound of concrete yes. and why it was there, yeah. and he was like, oh, right, yeah. that's why it's there. Ah, brilliant. And it's kind of like, makes perfect sense now you mention it. Yes. Um, and, yes. and you're I, right, you've got to tell people. I probably ought to put a sign up on it. But <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, <laughs> Next door to the Trinity Centre, just poking through the, the lovely bank of trees there, you've got the top of one of the newer Cambridge Consultants buildings. Yes. Now, you were asking, why is Cambridge so successful? They are one of the reasons. Yes. Cambridge Consultants are a, a technology consultancy who've been here more or less from the beginning of the, the Cambridge phenomenon. Yes. And they provide unlocking know-how. They really do. And yeah, they have provided companies that have spun out from their own organisation, um, but they primarily contract for other companies who are stuck and need really top quality knowledge to unlock their own innovation. And that's yes. what Cambridge Consultants do. They, they really do, having been around the, the bits that I could, could see, yes. um, I must approach them to do what we're doing. Um, but, uh, yes, you know, the, 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 the things that I saw were amazing and you just thought... Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, you know, uh, mobile phone towers on drones the size of 747s. And you know, yes. they're showing me, like, yes. this is, oh, this is the size of one of the mobile um, uh, cellular, cellular bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure I can, I'll think of the word later. But uh, one of the, the, the transmitters, uh, thank you, uh, you know, AI drones um, that, uh, you know, flying in, in formation around uh, 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 through, through a, a, an obstacle. And you just yes, like, Yes, it's wow. amazing to see, isn't it? Yeah. Because they're yeah. working it out. The drones are working it out themselves. And they're thinking. Yeah. In, you know, it's AI that's doing the thinking. But to see them navigating not on a programmed path is, is absolutely fascinating because they actually did this slightly, don't they? Yes. You can almost sense the cogs working while they think, how do we get through this? And how do I get my team to follow me? And they did a little dance, don't they? Yeah. When they get it right. Yeah. It's like, like bumblebees do yes. when they're sending communication waggle dance. Um... Yeah, absolutely. And uh, although I have to say, yeah. I went around some of the bits of the Quadrum Institute where it's like, yeah, we don't, don't go in there. That's, that's nasty stuff in there. Oh, and, yeah. And no, you, but I was actually more yeah. worried. We were standing behind the mesh watching the, these drones thinking, 
what am I going to do if they, say, if they turn on us there, turn on their human masters? Well, I think you've read, read too much in the news. You need to calm down. Are um, we going back to these mad scientists again? Yes, we're we? going back to these mad scientists. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> yeah, watch Jurassic Park one too many times. But there's a, there's a lot of glass I can see. There's there is a, a lot of glass. So this is new. All stretching yeah. down in an arc from our left to, left to our right. Yes. Now, Roku's over there. Uh, yep, I so, thin so out on that, that very from, terrace. From left to right, you've actually got MathWorks first. Oh, right, sorry, MathWorks first. A, Beg pardon. Very loosely described as Excel spreadsheets on steroids. <laughs> I've on their team recently. Um, phenomenal amount of work that goes on in there. Um, next door to them is Roku, the TV streaming course for van, TV streaming service. Now, Roku's interior fit-out is such fun because they've it's actually amazing. worked on, you know, what, what sector are we in? media and entertainment. So each floor has a different theme, doesn't it? The, yes, it does. My favourite is the James Bond film floor. <laughs> I didn't see that one. <laughs> I, went straight really to the cool. t- I went straight to the top, you know. Ooh, and, um... Microsoft. Microsoft Research, yes. Microsoft Research. I can't imagine they'll amount to much, will they? Um, <laughs> uh, Pharma, C- CMR Surgical... And, and that is a, yeah. a huge... Is, what's the name of this building? Because it's... Well, these, these three are quite interesting. So, to the right, just hidden behind this bank of trees, which I seem to be saying too often, bank of trees. <laughs> it's better than a, <laughs> this giant, nasty-looking concrete wall. It really is, isn't it? And they're lovely, mature trees. It's one of the benefits, having been here since 1970s, some of the trees are now amazingly mature, all planted by us. You mm-hmm. know, they've all been planted because of the development. They weren't here before. But there's a building in that corner that all the locals know is the Toast Track, the which toast is Knack Pharmaceuticals. Right. So they're actually doing research and production in there. I was going to say toast, <laughs> then. <laughs> toast. Um, but that, that's, it's a bit like Thunderbird's building. It, it has that concrete exoskeleton interspersed with glass. We'll see it in a minute. Yeah. But these three buildings were originally part of Knapp's holding on the Science Park. Right. And then they've, they've now sold them on. But um, so they used to be part of NAP. Monday Farmer is indeed still part of NAP. And then you've got um, the, the other two buildings bracketing it. But it's a lovely, it's a very green corner of the Science Park. Um, it is. There's a lot of space here. You can see the A14 junction just in the background. Yeah. Um, yes, you can. But you can't hear it too much, can no, you? No, you can't. And, and, and listeners will be able to... I mean, there's a van passing us, but there's there a, you'll be, yep. be able to hear that they can't hear it. Yes. And I may have strange tastes, but I, I do find that quite... That, those, those, that sort of nest of three buildings quite inviting. You're not the um, only one. I, I do tours of people coming to learn about science parks occasionally, and they always comment and say, well, they're new. In fact, they're not new. They're probably about 20 years old, I think, maybe older. No. Well, they don't look yeah. it. They've they aged really, really well. Whereas the building on our right, which I believe is younger... Has not. Hasn't. That architectural style, you know, back in the day when land values here were not what they are now and when the pressure on space was not what it is now, that was a sensible solution. It was a, you know, met somebody's direct need. So a building, yeah. you know, two storeys there, one storey in the extension or the annex, whatever it is, um, was sensible. Nowadays, that's not working hard enough and... It, doesn't look like the sort of building that the Instagram generation, and I don't say that flippantly. No, I, but I, I, I understand what you mean. People are much more clued into design and environment than I ever was when I was younger. Um, they would turn up to that and think, oh, do I want to work here or shall I work for MathWorks or Roku? Yeah. They're all competing 
to a large extent from the same talent pool. So, so you need to, what we would like to do with the building of that age, which is probably not energy efficient, its EPC will be pretty unimpressive, is to remove it and put something much more contemporary in its place. So higher, not excessively high. No, but there are but planning quite low, that will so. stop us. But higher than that, so you're making the land work harder and improving the greenery. Absolutely, because it, it, it's so, slightly, it does look slightly incongruous when you look over the other side of the room. Yes. You've got these fantastic, and I can't believe they're as old as you, as you say they are, but glass yeah. steel buildings that look yes. really impressive and really inviting. And, I've been in those buildings. Yeah. They're amazing. Uh, but you've yeah, got living walls in. I'd be proud to work yeah. there. I would work in, you know, the company well, course, in here I mean, is probably amazing as well. Yes, I mean... No, but I'm it not... doesn't give that impression to the outside, no. either to an employee or indeed to future customers no. or collaborators. So it, there's an important, shall we say, game to be played around that yeah. whole story as well. So you, you, you kind of half answered my question already mm. in kind of what you want to do there. But what's the... Mm. Like I say, there's, there's a cachet to being here. There's a huge yes. cachet of being here, yes. being in Cambridge. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you about how we relate to the Greenbelt in a minute. But yeah. um, what's the process for sort of achieving that vision then? Because you can't basically sort of race, race in and go, right, we don't like this anymore. Out you go. <laughs> no, wouldn't that be nice? That would be, lovely. That be lovely. So the, the one thing to bear in mind is that we have companies in the buildings. Yes. They need business continuity. So that's very, very important to us. And to the in this section of the park... Some of these, quite a lot of these buildings are not owned by Trinity College, so there are other stakeholders yes. who own those buildings. Which they, makes it all more, more complicated. It does, it does. But the, the modern landscape is that those stakeholders are much more communicative and visionary yes. uh, than predecessors. Mm -hmm. Times have changed. It's not yes. to be critical of previous owners, it's just that times have changed. Cambridge Science Park has this stellar reputation as a, a primary science park globally. Mm. And it, it's deserved. It's worked hard to achieve that. We need to maintain that reputation. Yes. So you have to have this constant process of renewal so that the experience of people coming to visit this astonishing place isn't, oh, but it's <laughs> wow. Exactly. <laughs> and if you've got the wow, then that works not only for us as a brand, but more importantly in many, well, almost every way, for the companies that are based here. Yes. We are the enablers. We provide the built environment. We provide, to some, quite some significant degree, the community. You know, so I, I was in Microsoft a uh, few months ago, and they said, what are you doing? You know, tenant of their calibre, cut you no slack, rightly so. Of course. They want to know what we are doing to help them do business. Yeah. And we have a role in that um, through providing events through the environment through that we've we've got a landscape management plan that we had to be paused unfortunately during the pandemic that's now been dusted off mm. and it's got all sorts of wonderful ideas for plantings and hammock grows and they're all being reassessed and saying well how do we deliver this now you know keep the keep the improvement keep the attractiveness of this place relevant for everybody yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in a way, I mean, we talked about politicians a bit a, a few minutes ago. Mm. Uh, the, you're, uh, we're, we're passing the toast track now, and now I see what you mean about the Thunderbirds. You expect it to, you know, 
start retracting so a rocket can launch yes. out, of the, out of the basement. It's, for um, a 1970s building, it's astonishingly futuristic. It is, now. it is really. I think it's an amazing um, bit of architecture. You are kind of, in a way, a small p politician in that. One, I'm very jealous of the fact you can just rock up anywhere and you've got a very good reason for being there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, but you're right, because I remember no, no lesser personage being at a meeting where no, no lesser personage than Matt Hancock, hmm. uh, which kind of invalidates it, but uh, Matt Hancock said, uh, and he, this is so true, and I've always remembered it, politics is not about gratitude, it's about what have you done for me lately. And yes. that's kind of, you know... with sort of ten memories. Well, the... When you've got a tenant like Microsoft, who yeah. know the value of being in Cambridge, mm -hmm. but they also know the value of the name Microsoft, yeah. um, you, it, it is very much that relationship of what have you, Cambridge Science Park, mm. done for us, Microsoft, mm. lately? Mm. Because we know what we've done for you. Uh, we've just been here for a start. Um, <laughs> so you've, you've got that, that, that management job of, of various different brands with different identities and a different consciousness over, over, over what they bring. Yes. Um, and you've got to manage all that. That's a hell of a task. It is, and particularly on an estate of this size and with the diversity and the sheer... Should we cut through this yep, way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, through the greenery. But through the sheer range of companies because we do house the complete range, you know, from pre-revenue startups through to Microsoft. Um, massive organisations... Absolutely. So meeting their not conflicting but diverse needs is quite a challenge. So one of the things I, I love is that this, this greenery, is attractive to Microsoft. Yes. You know, they, they also had, I think they still have their bases in central Cambridge, which is much more urban and provides, of course, a lot of amenity being... Uh -huh. So accessible to the shops around the station. Yes. That's what we need to provide here. And that's what's in our vision for the future. And again, if you're providing shops and cafes, it's not just for people who are working on the park. It's for people in the area. And if you look at the, um, the plans for the whole of North East Cambridge, the council themselves have some very ambitious plans for um, if, if the waterworks are moved mm -hmm. um, for redeveloping that whole area around Cambridge North Station. And what's fantastic here is we've got this brand new station in the middle of almost nowhere at the moment, but it's yeah. there, it's ready yeah. for this enhancement and growth of this particular part of yes. Cambridge, which is really, it's really good to see because it's an area that deserves investment and it deserves amenity improvement as well. And you, I don't know if you saw, I, I came in by train the other day um, through the by, by the biomedical campus. Right. They finally started building the platform for the new Cambridge really? South Station. Ah. Which is very, very long in the promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met one of the delivery architects for the AstraZeneca headquarters down there at a UK Science Park Association conference about nine months ago. And he said, they got the station in yet? Well, not yet. <laughs> yes. I know it's in the works. And to actually see the very white, shiny new slabs of concrete that are the, <laughs> the, the base of the first platform to be going in was very exciting, I have to say. So, so is that one stop, step on from the centre? Yes. Is it's it between, north, it's, Cambridge, south? Yes. Right. So you've got the, the original Cambridge station, then Cambridge North was opened, uh, I think, about two years ago, and then Cambridge South is now incoming. 
which will really, really help people getting to Addenbrooke's Papworth. Yeah, that's Rosie. exciting for me. Biomedical campus, my house. <laughs> exciting, even <laughs> I have more skin exciting in the game with that one. Exactly. I can walk to the station or cycle. So, no, it's very exciting. And there's a big employment focus in the South City that's mm. not as well served as it could be. So it's really good to see that. Because, Absolutely. again, we've got to see this, what, what everyone in the sector calls modal shift, yes. which is getting out of single-lock power cars for commuting and travelling and getting into more sustainable forms of transport. Yeah. Because, I mean, I love the independence my car gives me. I'm not prejudiced against car users in any way. But I have kids, and I can see what's happening with climate change. Yes. And we've, we've all got to change our behaviours. We do. And we really do. And that's terribly hard to achieve, but it's not really an option anymore. Indeed. Where are we in relation to the green belt around Cambridge? Um, so the green belt is just the other side of the A14. Right. So this science park is not and has never been in the green belt. Mm -hmm. But good, we're very good. proud of our greenery. Um, mm -hmm. No, I would say it's... Uh... And, I mean, just standing here, back at the Bradford, we've got the waterfall playing. It's just... I mean, it's lovely. Um, we could do more. That bank of very tired Leylandii, you know, 1980s monotonous planting. That, yeah. was, that was the fashion back then. Um, it's not only unattractive because they have gone a bit wild. It's also not good for biodiversity. Right. So we're conscious that we need to keep working on improving the biodiversity. And actually, where we've walked, we've gone through sort of monoculture almost yeah. of a hedge plant all around a particular building. Now, the one around the Royal Society of Chemistry is housing wonderful birds' nests, which is great, but it's not generally good for biodiversity. Yeah. And you've got to look at enhancing that yeah. um, because it's the right thing to do. And new developments expect you to. It's actually enshrined in the consent that so you have to look at biodiversity improvement at a certain right. percentage. So there's a legal drive to do it as well. Um, but here, you look around, there's all sorts of different trees, different plants, different grasses got ornamental thistles so lots of seed heads that birds like some of the areas we've walked through there are loads of brambles you know, mm. one of our questions is well you know, that doesn't look too good that looks neglected the wildlife trust perspective was voice well, you could tidy it up but don't do it too much because bramble thickets are fantastic for ground nesting and foraging birds and small mammals. Yeah. so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. that indeed you can do work which will actually improve the biodiversity as well as the visual appeal but take care not to damage anything. And that's exactly the sort of advice that we want to hear. Yes. Because we don't want to get it wrong. We want to get it right. Yeah. And we mentioned, we touched on the, this concept for Cambridge Science Park, Park North for Midtech, which is just the other side of the A14. That is land that is in the green belt, but it's not accessible to the public. Yeah. And the plan that Trinity is proposing, which has been ex extensively tested with, with locals includes more than 50% public park and 30% yeah. biodiversity enhancement which this is, is more than what's yeah. the minimum that you're required it's also going to be a carbon um, net positive would you believe yes I would I which would. is astonishing, it's a phrase I hadn't even come across until very recently yeah. so it, it's something we're all really mindful of and actually protective of as well um, I'm not saying all developers are but we are and I think you get patient capital that an outfit like Trinity that's been here for centuries brings to the conversation. And yeah. it is a different story from the more normal property development model, which is that you find a good site, 
you develop it, you fill the buildings with tenants, and then you sell it. Because a property developer is just that, they're not in it for holding the land. Yeah. Someone, someone like Trinity has a, a different perspective. They yeah. want to hold the land in perpetuity, really. Wow. Not that I'm committing them. No, no indeed. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Given that Henry VIII you... gave us this site, <laughs> we've still got it. You know, it says a lot. I'm just watching this wade, there's a wading bird. It's either a cooter or a moorhen, my wife would know which, wandering around the tables. Um, Is it white face yeah, or red beak? It's uh, red beak, I think. It's got big, big yellow feet. Yeah, that's moorhen. Moorhen. Um, I'm glad I didn't yeah. say coot. And it's it's quite it seems quite relaxed in in, in amongst these uh, sort of scientists and yeah. and staff and uh, how how fantastic yeah, they're quite useless. We've got lots of rabbits and deer and yeah, yeah I saw some, there's I saw a heron some... that fishes these ponds all the hey. time. It's just amazing. You can walk up within six feet of the heron. He's, yeah, he's kind of got useless right. or she. Well, Jane Hutchins, what a wonderful um, walk! What a wonderful tour of Cambridge uh, Science Park. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Seeing new bits that I, I, I didn't know were there, going, oh, that's where that person is, sort of making yes. connections. And to know that you're not just saying, it's Cambridge, take it or leave it. You're saying, we, it's, a, it's a constant process yes. of iteration, thought, development, and that's a wonderful thing for the city. It's a wonderful thing for the region. Uh, all power to you, Eastern Promise. Uh, we'll always support parks like this because it's so fundamental to the future of not just Cambridge, not just the east of England, mm. the world. Um, and that sounds slightly grandiose, but I'm going <laughs> to roll with it. Uh, Jane, thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. I am hugely grateful to Jane for being so generous with her time. However, what you heard there was a mere fragment, a, a taster, if you will, of the full interview and accompanying tour, which you can find in all its glory on the Eastern Promise podcast feed. Now, I would say this, wouldn't I? But a listen is well worth your time. Because I had a hoot, and so will you. And now... I'm bored. Once the school holidays begin, it can only be a matter of moments before this dread phrase is first uttered. But where do you go to keep the boredom of your beloved at bay? Help is at hand. In another... Crowd Sorcery. Yes, Crowd Sorcery. Constant and true friend of the show, Michelle Chambers, Business Development Manager at Chaplin Farrant, leads us off with a vote for Raw Dinosaur Park. Says Michelle, I might even be one of the first in a private public party today to ride their first pneumatic and hydraulic rides at the park. A new £0.5 million investment into the park for summer 2023. I'm a little over 18, but does it matter? No, Michelle, it does not. And she adds, Chaplin Farrant are very proud to be part of the design and planning processes on the park's expansion over many years. Now, this piece of public service is not lost on another crowd sorcerer of long standing, Dr. Penny Hundleby, senior scientist at the John Innes Centre, who says, Oh, that's good to know. Haven't been in a while. We'll add that to the summer list. There we are, friends. The power 
of crowd sorcery puts raw. Thank you. Back on the list. Over now to Wayne Stannett, Principal Director at Reagit. Gotta get a trip to Legoland Windsor Resort for the kids to enjoy, of course. Ooh, not in the region, Wayne, but as you're new, I shall be merciful. Anyway, you more than make up for it by recommending a day out at Thrigby Hall Wildlife Gardens and Pettits. From wildlife to sea life now, as Claudina Johnston, marketing director at Source Bioscience, recommends the sea life centres in several coastal locations, e.g. Hunstanton. Fiona Walker, founder of ParleyConnect.com, government, public affairs and external relations consultancy, recommends Pensthorpe and Gresson Hall Rural Life Museum, both great for a day out with younger kids. Also, the beaches at Wells, Holcombe, Brancaster, fabulous for the family. Bike hire and ropes course, all good fun at Holcombe Hall. Another friend of the podcast who's fizzing with suggestions is Jack Weaver, Chief Operating Officer at the Norfolk Chambers of Commerce. And check out his History Biker channel on YouTube. Says Jack, our children are three and four respectively, so next year will be the first... Oh, we have six weeks to fill moment. <laughs> Nevertheless, one of the myriad soft play centres can keep them occupied for several hours, like a toddler UFC ring most of the time. They're happiest outdoors, though, so the annual pass for the Zoological Society of East Anglia, that's Banham Zoo or Africa Alive, comes in handy. And here's a scoop I'm pleased to announce the Eastern Promise will be dropping in on the Zoological Society of East Anglia very soon. But I digress, and Jack continues. For a free day out, we gravitate to Linford Arboretum, just about anywhere in forestry England, Thetford Forest, Wells Next to Sea, Southwold, or, if all else fails, a longer trip to see their grandparents on Mersey Island in Essex. Now, another vote for the wonders of Southwold comes from consultant Kevin Keeble, who praises its beach, pier, arcade games, ice cream, boating lake, model boating lake, putting golf, ferry to Walberswick, crabbing and fish and chips. And yet another shout-out to our magnificent coastline comes from Neil Griffin, inspiring knowledgeable business support across the UK's leading provider of innovation spaces. Felixstowe Pier for arcades and also swimming. Another public service announcement here... From Neil Griffin, Felixstowe Carnival, this weekend! Tarquin Bennett Coles, meanwhile, senior partner at SCI Partners, advisor for Gainai Me Limited, pro bono mentor for the Homerton Changemakers, and careers in healthcare supporter for the MBA and EMBA students at the Judge Institute, gives a mahoosive shout out to Shepreth Wildlife Park, says Tarquin. We have always gone there as a family, and with friends close to Christmas time too. Wonderful circular route with lots to do, amazing mix of animals and setup to support creatures who would not be able to survive in the wild. Very important stuff there. Thank you, Tarquin. But lastly, keeping things simple is Karen Clark, Head of Communications and PR Practitioner, who says, Bucket, net and here. Indicating a link 
to dogfriendlysuffolk.co.uk with listings including Walberswick Beach. So the kids may be bored to tears, but the dog is absolutely loving it. And who can say fairer than that? Thank you to all this week's crowd sorcerers. This truly is a public service where we share what we love so that others can discover it too. And on that note, the shutters go down on episode 70 of Eastern Promise. Thanks go once more to Jane Hutchins, the superb sage of the science park, and to Engineer 49, sharp of eye, keen of ear, low on coffee. And to you, thank you so much for your company this week. Do visit our website at easternpromise.org.uk and our YouTube channel. Just search for Eastern Promise, the podcast. Until next time, bye for now. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production on behalf of the Eastern Promise East Anglia Community Interest Company.